Are you ready to take your first steps towards financial freedom by investing in property? Whether you're a first-time investor or you started your portfolio but need some help continuing to grow, 2022 REB Buyers Agent of the Year and Rising Star Finalist Lachlan Vidler and his team at Atlas Property Group are here to help. As experts in property investment, Lachlan and his team are ready to help you take your next step in growing your portfolio. By completing the research, sourcing and negotiations, Lachlan goes the extra mile to find you a high-performing investment property. Visit atlaspropertygroup.com.au to book in your discovery call absolutely free of charge. This is a Momentum Media production. Welcome to the Smart Property Investment Show, the podcast by investors for investors. Welcome to the podcast, Phil Tarrant, host of the Smart Property Investment Show. I had to think about that for a moment. It's surprising seeing that I've been doing this for about five years and I live, think, breathe, sleep, whatever, property. And um, as a highlight to, to record this podcast, I get to do it a couple of times a week. Chatting with uh, property investors, what they're doing, those people that help those property investors get into the market. And there's some really cool stuff happening in the background here at Smart Property that I'll be sharing with you over the next couple of weeks, uh, including a very new and exciting proposition for those who are looking to secure mortgage finance and struggling like all of us property investors do to navigate the complicated, turbulent world that is the banks at the moment. Um, uh, and how mortgage brokers fundamentally can really help with that. So watch this space, some pretty exciting stuff going on, plus the relaunch of something within Smart Property Investment, which many people have been asking for for many years uh, that we will be unveiling over the next couple of weeks. So tune in, check it out, smartpropertyinvestment.com.au is where it's all happening. But today we are jumping outside of the residential realm uh, into the commercial realm. And most property investors at a point in time will start thinking about commercial property uh, rather than residential property. And often one of the triggers will be the reflection or the uh, analysis interpretation of their portfolio when they go, hang on a second, I'd like this to be turned into potentially a positively geared portfolio rather than negatively portfolio. And often commercial is a good driver for better yields uh, that can completely transform a diversified portfolio that includes resi and commercial. Many times your accountant might go, hey, have you thought about commercial property? We need to fix the cash position in this portfolio. So there's many reasons why people start considering commercial. Most people don't start out in commercial property. They sort of usually evolve into investing in commercial property. And then you see many property investors start out resi, ended up with a more diversified portfolio of resi and commercial. And then as they go through their property journey, they load up in commercial and often let a lot of the resi stuff go to the side. And that's just part of the journey that many property investors embark upon. And for many also, it's their strategy. I want to get into that today, how it's working, who's doing what, what works well. I invite into the studio. He's the co-host on a podcast that I record every single month inside commercial property, which is pretty cool. Uh, Scott O'Neill, he's from Rethink Investing. I've pulled him into the Smart Property Investment Show. I'm going to pick his brain. This is on my turf, so I can be a lot more pointy uh, with this one, rather than trying to be friendly to Scott. Scott, how are you going? You well? You well, mate. Looking forward to it. Yes. Uh, no, I do uh, enjoy our monthly get-together. And if you haven't tuned into it, uh, Inside Commercial Property, great podcast. We do it every month. It's on, uh, just, just search for it in whatever podcast player you use. Uh, we sort of go deep into asset classes and, and all this sort of stuff, but also look at more of the aspirational part of uh, investing in, in commercial as well. But um, I just wanted to change the tempo a little bit 
uh, with this podcast, Scott, and do this. It's a smart property investment show, but I want to do a bit of a commercial approach. And for many people that might not be familiar with commercial investing, so maybe some of the 101 stuff around it, but it's not very often I get a brief, uh, Scott, for uh, my discussions. Uh, as a team here normally just let me sort of work out what I'm going to do along the way. But um, today they have given me a pretty detailed brief, and thank you guys. Uh, it's a great team here. It's got, you know, the more um, driving editorial and content within Smart Property Investment. But they've called you here the king of commercial property. Mate, I'm going to call BS on that, mate. Where's that come from? Did you load them up with this? Is this is, is this a new monkey that you want, mate, to, to be known by? The king of commercial property, Scott O'Neill, Reefing Investing. Oh, mate, never heard that one before, but you'll tag it. That's uh, that's my day job, so <laughs> won't uh, shut it down. <laughs> <laughs> well, there we go. The king of commercial property. Uh, I'm not convinced. I'll. Nah, I think your teams are a little bit too friendly, mate. But uh, maybe, I'll thank them anyway. Maybe uh, you know better. Uh, anyway, oh look, you know, you know more than most, mate. So I'm only giving you a bit of a a ribbing there. Um, and having sort of um uh, worked with you over probably it's well over a year now on on our specific commercial podcast. Uh, you certainly know your onions. But let's start at the beginning, Scott. You're you're an actual commercial investor yourself, aren't you? Yeah, so like like you mentioned, I, I started investing in residential for many years and and went into the unit block market because I was always a yield seeker. I never bought into the buy a property holder for thirty years and hope that you know the capital growth you know would sell down and make me money. I, I wanted to kind of enjoy the cash flow instantly. You know, it was almost like that afterpay model. And um, yeah, it was the unit blocks that did the job at the time, but. Quickly, that dried up because the capital growth overtook them. The yields didn't catch up, and commercial was the logical next step. And um, yeah, went into the commercial market, and I've never looked back. I've actually sold down about three million dollars worth of my residential portfolio, and um, used that plus uh, cash flow plus business earnings to acquire. Uh, it's 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 over forty million in property now. So I've actually bought twenty million in the last twelve months. So a couple of uh, shopping center type things and industrial property. And the reason I can keep going with this stuff is the yield is so much better and that makes the banks happy. Every time I present a deal to the bank, it's a yes every time, as long as you've got the deposit. But if I tried to do the same thing in residential, they'd probably laugh at me by now and say, you know, your overall position is uh, you got, you know, you've got too much debt, you've got enough properties. Like it's just such a harder conversation. So the commercial will continually, uh, you know, even, yeah, over the next X amount of time in my life, I'll keep doing it because it's it's like the the hunger of the game. Really, it's not just about uh, reaching a certain number. It it's just uh, you know it's a profitable exercise when you do it well, and that, that's that's where we're uh, you know forever trying to improve. So as well as being, uh, I guess you got two streams to to how you um, create wealth or generate income. One is obviously the work you do through Rethink Investing, which is a, a buyer's agency uh, supporting both. Uh, commercial and residential buy secure real estate but then you also your other stream is being an investor yourself so you know you're presenting deals to banks where you're making money rather than losing money so that is a big tick in their books and did you sort of load up with one particular lender with all all of what do you say you got 40 million bucks in property do you yep. load up with one particular lender you got that pretty spread around so they make them all happy so they don't know too much spread around like and particularly in the last few months sorting out these last purchases we've done a real big u-turn with banks so NAB came to the party and offered some really good terms. So part of the deal was to give them the house I live in. So we, we removed that from A and Z, which 
at the time three years ago, four years ago when I bought the house, that was the best product on the market. So we've, we've left ANZ, NAB's taken that over and now Westpac is offering some really good terms for some other types of stuff. So I've got, yeah, a mix of everything. Like the, the smaller resi stuff, I've got them with Macquarie Bank and then Combank's in there for three or four properties. So it is a very diverse mix. And um, what are my goals over the next, once I'm done with this sort of purchasing spree at the moment is just to let the dust settle go back, revalue all the residential side, maybe sell off another one or two that aren't performing like they could in other areas and then just clean up the loans as well because I'm sure you have it with your personal portfolio, Phil. You've got all sorts of random bank loans in there that the interest rates crept up on you and then you know you can literally just refinance somewhere else and save 1% on your loan. And when you're talking uh, millions of debt, that is a lot of cash flow you can save for doing very little. Yeah, I'm down that pathway myself. And as I mentioned at the top of the podcast, I'm about to unveil a, a really new, exciting thing we're working at here at Smart Property Investment in mortgage financing. And um, one of the big things is going to be refinancing the whole Smart Property Investment portfolio, which we share on, on this particular uh, show. So I've spent a lot of time working through that over the last sort of nine months, just trying to, a lot of stuff coming off fixed interest into variables, negotiating with banks. And you go and tune into some of the portfolio updates I've done of recent, you probably hear me ranting about it if, uh, if that's the sort of stuff you want to listen to, but uh, that's hard work, right? Like when you end up, when you've got 20, 20 something loans across a whole bunch of different assets with different lenders at different in different structures at different rates, trying to manage that is a full-time job in itself. Uh, so simplifying is key. You don't want to, you, you want to be diversified in terms of your lender scope, but you don't want to be too diversified. So it becomes hard. So there's a real secret to it, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And and I was really trying to think, like I'm trying to think 10 years ahead and sometimes it's hard to even do that because you don't know where you will be in 10 years. But I'm now at the stage of trying to work out like what assets do I really want to hold as I get into older age? And uh, it's hard to pitch that but because you've got to think about all types of economic environments. So you don't just think about the boom times like we are now. What about when a recession hits? What types of assets will, will protect you in those markets? And um what size assets as well as a particular one? Like you don't only want, you know, if you've got a $10 million portfolio, you, you don't only want 10, $1 million properties, maybe a couple of $3 million in there or, you know, some of the smaller stuff might cause you more dramas or give you less growth. or Like it's a very hard one to actually predict and no one really knows the answer as much as they'll tell you. They think they know the answer because the world will change. There's so much technology, you know, changes over the decade. Banking rules will change many times over even in the next three years, let alone the next 10 or 20. So it's about sort of really trying to picture that ideal portfolio. That's sort of where, where I'm at because saving time is is key. And I know my wife is very sick of our portfolio, to be honest, and especially because we, we just booked tickets to Greece next year and we're going to be overseas for three months. So it's a stress knowing that we've got certain properties that are sort of causing little dramas here or there and you've got to, we've got to clean them out because otherwise it's not really a passive investment if if it's not doing its job so yeah it's all this is all this kind of i guess the the ideal behind the, the portfolio what you want to target but um that that's sort of the, the goal for the next year or two just to work out where we want to be with it all yeah we're in the same position so it's sort of, you're talking about portfolio makeup there and when you start out investing in property you think you know where you want to be with it in 20 years' time. And, and most people go, well, I want to own this much property with this much debt on it and looking towards retirement generating me whatever income. But as you go down the pathway, you start looking more critically at it and just going, 
you know, more is not necessarily better. Uh, sometimes more is more of a headache, particularly if you want a more passive investment. It's, it's easier to manage fewer properties that are a higher value if their sort of makeup is right, as in they're generating money and stuff and, you know, getting rid of those properties. But you need to go through it. Like you have to go through it as a property investor to build up some sort of scale. If you want a large portfolio, you've got to build up some scale to be able to give you utility for starting to invest in the stuff which are longer term assets and then selling down the foundational properties. And, you know, that that's the way it works. But you can't orchestrate that at the front end of it. You just got to do it to start with knowing that, in 10 years' time, in 15 years' time, you're going to have to recalibrate your portfolio. As long as you buy the assets right at the front end, when you get to that pathway, you're much better. If you buy crap assets at the front end, guess what? You're never going to be able to have that that opportunity to make those changes. Right, Scott? Yeah. And look, it's a really good thing to think about. And this is not just pie in the sky type stuff. Like I know, you know, I've talked to many of your listeners and they've got very large portfolios and even the guys starting out with their first. Like, if you're doing this from a young age or even a medium age and you plan to do it for the next three decades of your life, and if you do it well, you'll probably be in a position, you know, where you've got a large portfolio. If you if you dedicate a lot of your efforts into this, by nature, you may do very well with it. So it doesn't hurt to think about this long-term goal of what are the assets or, you know, if you're 70 years old, what are the, the assets you want to hold until you're 90? And um, it may be for large assets, or it might be 10, it might be two very large. But then if you go not enough properties and you lose one of your tenants, that might, you know, especially if you're carrying debt, you know, you don't just want to own a Bunnings and then that goes vacant and then you, you, your next generation's ruined because they're trying to, you know, deal with the damage. So it's a real balance and it, it's not about just only buying the biggest possible asset, but it's, I guess that's the thing. It's a, it's a work in progress for everyone individually and, you know, think about this long-term stuff because it gives you, I guess, inspiration to to make the right decisions today. Even if you're on your first purchase buying a, you know, a 300 grand house in a, you know, a, a regional town, think about it in 20 years, you know, where you want to be. And that, that will help you make better decisions rather than just buying now because the bank said you can get a 300 grand loan. Like, and I know a lot of young investors, that's how they think. It's about how do I get that next asset as quick as possible rather than really planning it? And uh, I'm guilty of charged on that one. I was the most impatient investors. I was taking side loans out to sort of fund the next deposit. Like I was redlining for many years and, and it, it worked, but you know, if the market turned on me at the wrong time like that, it could have been a disaster as well. So there's a, there's a method that you should follow. There's method to your madness and, you know, everyone needs to have their own, appetite or relationship with risk. And you're, you're a capable guy, you're a numbers-orientated guy, so no doubt you have plenty of redundancy in that. You probably were thinking about the what ifs if things go wrong. You're just fortunate that you're able to get through it. But, you know, it's nice to sit here. And I'd say we're, we're both sort of mid, mid, um, we're mid-stage mid investors. Uh, we've still got a good couple of decades each, uh, I would say, as as active investors uh, before we probably just don't want to do anything and just just want to sit back and relax. So, you know, we get to speak from the position of we've been doing it for for probably well over a decade, right? But, you know, and this people might be just going, oh, look at these guys, you know, they're like Monopoly dudes just, just talking about, oh, they're a bit there, a bit there, a bit there. You've got to start somewhere. So you can't get absorbed or over-obsessed with what you're going to be thinking like in 10 years' time, 20 years' time, 30 years' time. You've got to do the doing. And you see those people, they call it what um, – uh, where you just procrastinate, where they just don't do anything because they're all the what is. What if, what, what if this happens? What if this happens? You must see your, with your clients, 
you know, you just got to start. You got to do something because if you never start, you're never going to get going. Yeah, and look, a good example of sort of how I like sort of talking to my investors is like I'll use an example. So these clients of mine that were having their second baby, they were really good thinking about going down the residential route. They had an eight eight hundred grand budget, so you're not going to retire with an eight hundred grand purchase, but. This 800 grand property we found, we, they, they wanted to go down commercial because they wanted to get their cash flow now because it would help them with their uh, situation that was coming up where they would, uh, you know, the wife was not out of the work for a period of time. There was more cash flow pressures. So instead of going down and buying a, I don't know, a two bedroom unit in Sydney or, or a house in Brisbane where you're probably negatively geared, they went and bought a warehouse. That warehouse was... Uh, producing about 55 grand income and their mortgage on that was about 20 odd thousand. So, you know, you can see it's built them an instant passive income, you know, and and that was, uh, you know, four or 500 bucks a week, uh, plus, you know, depending on rental management and stuff like that. But that that's a really good start. You know, if you can buy a property and it gives you 500 a week clear after mortgage, after rates, after everything, that's a genuine bonus for your life. And, uh, their instant thought is, how do I replicate this? How do we turn that to a thousand a week passive income, and then fifteen hundred of passive income? And those incremental steps are how I invested initially, and it was slow going at the start. You know, I bought three properties in four years at the start, and to me that that felt like forever, to be honest. But then the growth started happening, and you know, the, it, it all you know deposits were getting created from capital growth, like so things started moving quicker, and I was getting better at investing, so. That you know, those little passive income goals were, were all I went for at the start, and it's a good way of thinking for for a first time investor, especially in this. I found that like ever since COVID hit, people's lifestyles have changed as well. Like they value certain things differently, and and that's where the commercial side is kind of quite ideal because you know you are you are creating an income that you can use, and it takes the pressure off work even if if that passive income's high enough. Everyone's got a different number. It doesn't need to be hundreds of thousands of dollars, you know. Even if it's uh, a couple of tens of thousands of dollars, that that'll take the pressure off working one day a week for many or two days a week. These are the the little incremental goals that people should focus on. I think. Yeah, that's uh, that's the idea. And for for you, the the pivot to commercial was probably a huge sort of mindset shift, but also a shift in your your wealth building capabilities because. Banks view commercial lending different to residential lending, particularly for property investors. So I want to get into some of the nitty-gritty of commercial investing. We'll just go to a quick break. Stay with us back in a moment. Ever wondered how you can invest like the top 1% of Australian property investors? Henderson Advocacy has been at the forefront of helping everyday Aussies improve their financial freedom. So if you're a savvy investor or someone just starting out on their property journey, give Henderson Advocacy a call today. Head to www.henderson.com.au. Don't invest alone. Invest smarter. Welcome back, everyone. Phil Tarrant, host of the Smart Prop Investment Show. I'm with Scott O'Neill, Rethink Investing, uh, just shared his uh, his pathway as a property investor. I know this is what our listeners really enjoy, how other people are doing it. It's very aspirational. Um, they want to know, okay, if all this works and it's very mechanical and technical and lending and buying and all this sort of stuff, so what? What does it all mean? Let's put Scott in a position where he's largely able to do what he wants to do. And I think you work because you like working rather than you need to work, Scott, and that's probably pretty important. Yeah, and and it's the same with every single one of my investors. Like we've we've helped 
many guys that will literally never need to work again. Even before they came to me, they never needed to work, some of them. Because, you know, they're running good businesses or in some cases they've been commercial investors for uh, longer than, I, you know, I've been on this earth as well. But there are, you know, they're investing because they love it, the game of it. It's, um, but they don't stop working. I, I've, I'm very rare. I don't think I've met someone who's actually stopped working. The closest to stop working is you self-manage your own portfolio. So you get a little bit more hands-on dealing with your tenants direct. And then, you know, if I didn't have Rethink Investing, I'd probably do that. Like I used to self-manage, you know, a lot of my properties. And, you know, it was kind of fun talking to the tenants, you know, getting a bit more hands-on with the renovations and stuff like that. I wouldn't do it now because uh, it's just a time constraint. But, you know, if uh, I'm a 75-year-old guy just ticking around with not much else to do, like, you know, going to talk to your commercial tenants would probably, uh, and, you know, you'd probably strategically buy them on the Gold Coast or, you know, pretty parts of the country or, you know, so you just got somewhere to go, you know, and then yeah. that's that's what a few of my investors have done. And it's, um, yeah, they're not working, but they're sort of still they involved. Well, it's life design, right? Like, you know, if you get to a point where you go, oh, I've got to drive to such and such to go and say, like, yeah, I'm working inverted commas. But this is it. And, and to be fair, this sort of myth of retirement, which I think is a, a myth. I think a lot of people frame it as in, and, and I think there's two streams to it. Also, you you get a job, a profession or a job, but you, you're you a salaried worker all your life and you work until you're 65 or, or I don't even know what the retirement age is now, 70, right? And then you retire. Uh, and then you live on your pension. You've paid your house off by that point in time and you probably don't need to work. Like there is working is, you just stop working, you just retired and you do what retired people do golf and, and whatnot. But then I think the other stream is if you're an active participant in sculpting wealth generation, i.e. you were a salary job, you were a, a business owner or you worked in business, and then you also simultaneously with that, you would see a lot, uh, you're investing in property and creating assets in conjunction with your business ventures. And they always say, uh, Scott, um, make your money in business and park it in property. Uh, I think that sort of uh, has merit or make your money in business and park it in asset class number X. So you find people that go down that pathway never actually retire. They're always tinkering and dabbling and working on something. There's the next deal. There's the next opportunity. There's, you know, working. And, and you might be hanging out at the coffee shop with your mates and, and and skulking around the beach, sort of working on your tan, but you're always going to be working probably until the day you sort of get put in a box and put six feet under. And they're the two sort of main, main streams. I think that's available to most people. Um, I guess you get to make the choice which pathway you want to go in life. And what I find, even for people who, Scott, might be a PAYG employee who have a job, whatever that is, having a property investment portfolio is like their business. You know, it gives them control that they wouldn't necessarily have inside of their working life where they can craft their own venture. Is that the sort of the the, the makeup of your your client base, sort of those two main streams, yeah. or are they mainly more the business owner type people? Oh, look, it's probably 50-50 split. So uh, I've got a lot of clients, like you, you said it perfectly, Phil, they've got their job, which funds their portfolio that gives them the loan. So a pay-as-you-go job is, you know, it is literally the best thing for bank loans. So you don't want to give that up quickly because that does facilitate most of what we talk about today. But at some point, the portfolio, if you set up right, will outgrow you. And this is where commercial... Well, for me, it definitely outgrowed my income because the income from the properties were just getting larger and larger and mine was fixed. And and uh, and that's it gives you freedom. It gives you confidence that, 
you know, your job's not your only thing in your life. It is like just creating a business and, uh, and that's the best way to look at it. Your portfolio is your business. That's going to be there when you're not working. And then the other side is business owners who are making their money. And that could be anywhere from like a developer to there's a lot of IT professionals out there that have that one big hit where they sell their business for a huge amount of money. And it's interesting you're, you're talking about that lifestyle by design because these guys um, sometimes can be like a one-hit wonder with their big IT company. And then they're so hungry for that taste of another big success again. Their portfolio is something, but... I can tell you what, that's still not going to satisfy them. They want another big, you know, create a new company and and the search goes on. So the property portfolio facilitates that search while they're not making their next, you know, online booking company or whatever it ends up being. Um, mm. So the portfolio, is a, it's always a constant in the background. It is, it's safeguarding your wealth. And that's how I look at property. It's, it's there no matter what. And uh even if it comes off 20% because there's a recession, there's going to be other parts of the economy that get hurt a lot more in that example. So, yeah, the portfolio and, uh, you know, that that lifestyle design is exactly what I see as well. Just pick up a point you made there around these these people who get a big Hail Mary and they generate, they create a company, generate a crap load of money around it, and then they get the hunger, right? Do you reckon it's really hard to repeat? Like people get it done once right and they might luck in, luck out, whatever you want to call it, or they're just super smart. It's not very often you see people repeat that, right? It's normally a one-off. Uh, yeah, instance. Got, yeah. Without generalising, but I've mm. I've seen many many of my clients. Uh, it does always seem to be that one big hit mm. generally, and then the search goes on. So it doesn't mean that they're not going to hit it again. But um, I come from a very different background of wealth creation. Like my parents are accountants and all that kind of stuff. So my way of building wealth is the slow, and methodical, and almost boring kind of accumulation type way of building wealth. So I find it interesting how you can do it instantly through whether it's cryptocurrencies or or some kind of IT company that gets valued 30 times its real revenue. Like that to me is crazy, but, um, but that's what happens in this, this world. And, you know, it's like winning a lottery ticket, you know, you're going to try win it again, I guess. And that's where I guess these guys, will always be on that hunt for the next one. And um, it's an interesting way of uh, building wealth, very different from my background, but, mm. you know, it's much quicker, I guess, if it works for you. Yeah, it <laughs> is. And the thing is that you want to be doing all this simultaneously, uh, try and try and get the Hail Mary, but also doing the methodical stuff in the background. But, again, it's, um, you know, horses, four courses. You'd be, one of those, you'd be one of those guys, Phil, with all your IT companies, <laughs> if you're ready for the big sale. Mate, oh. No, I'm just, I'm just a bloke. I'm just a podcaster, mate. I'm just a guy here who's, who likes talking to people. If someone wants to come and, I don't know. Hey, I, I saw the numbers, by the way. So it's just, I don't know. I'm talking myself up, but I think we're sort of like over 130,000 downloads a month on Smart Property Investment uh, Podcast Network, which is pretty significant. Any, if, if anyone wants to advertise on that, come and tell me. Uh, happy to, to give you access to this great group of people. But um, yeah, I get a real kick out of that. Getting ready for a sale, mate. Sell the uh, <laughs> nah. 30, 30x the podcast. Thirty times the podcast. There you go. Well, it's the smart money at the moment, but uh, no, I'd uh, I'd have to do it because I, I just like talking about property, uh, and so I think someone needs to. So, but that said, also there's a thousand property podcasts out there now. Yeah, none of them really as good as this one. Um, but on that point, though, if if you got to listen to one other property podcast. Uh, Listen to Ben and Bryce over at the Property Couch. They're, those guys, um, very different podcasts, uh, good operators. It's just really us and them have been stalwarts. Uh, we always dominate the rankings uh, for the podcast, but you get two very different 
themes there. And obviously also inside commercial property. Uh, while I'm at it, uh, all the other great podcasts on the Property Investment Podcast Network, um, uh, Investing Insights of the Right Property Group is another great one. I'm sure you listen to that, Scott. Anyway, there's a small plug. Go and listen to it right now. Now, I've got some questions here I want to get stuck into, seeing that you are the king of commercial property. Calm down, uh, mate. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll have to have a chat with that. Okay, here it is. Uh, if you had to pick one style of asset in commercial uh, sector and you could only invest in that type of asset for the rest of your life, what would it be and why? Oh, mate, I, I really, I'm going to be absolutely on the fence and disappoint you. I, I just would never buy one style of investment. I think, you know, no matter what your budget, you always want to mix it up. But I'll use some recent examples. Like I, I bought a small shopping center and an industrial property. I think small shopping centers are going to have an incredible 2022 ahead as, as foot traffic goes up. But even in 2020 and 2021, a supermarket did well, a medical center did well. These are the types of things you'll find in these small shopping centers. That to me is, is a really good intergenerational asset that you can pass on to your kids and they're going to be happy with it. It's freehold, it's, it's large, it's diverse tenancy mix. That's a pretty good industry to, to stick your money in if, if you had one shot at it. But right now, even hotter than that is industrial. So industrial property, there's there's dead set, not enough of it in the country. It's going for record prices. The tenants are desperate for a good quality building in a good area. And um, as everything keeps getting sold online and transported, the pressure on industrial needs in this country will remain. Um, so I think... I think it's just all about the quality of the individual asset and then, you know, you don't generalise too much. But, yeah, I think, you know, again, another one, like some some types of fast food would be another one. You just, you know, close your eyes and know that's probably going to do pretty well over decades, but you're going to pay for that up front because the yields are very low. So it's a very, very hard question to answer. And it's almost like saying pick one <laughs> suburb in resi to invest in for the rest of your life. It's You couldn't really do that in reality. As expected, that, that was the answer uh, that all diplomatic people would give. So I'm going to make it a lot easier with this next question. If you had to pick a KFC or a petrol station, which one are you going to buy as an Definitely investor? the KFC, mate. I, yeah, because uh, you love the Colonel. You, yeah. The, uh, <laughs> I, I actually, that was my last purchase, to be honest, a KFC. And, did you buy um, KFC, did you? Yeah, it had a Hungry Jacks on it too. So it was sort of like, yeah, I, I, I called up. The uh, Collins Food Group, you know, and just asked them how how business is, you know, how that particular shop was going. And um, yeah, look, they're, they're having record years. COVID was very friendly to them. If you're in certain markets, you've got, uh, you know, it's almost just like a 50-year window of success. You know, like these businesses, like the fast food giants, they've been around for a very long time. And if they did go vacant and they are in a really well-located area, there is another brand of food drive-through style that will probably pop up and take over. I know they're very territorial over these areas, like wherever you see a KFC, there's a Macca's nearby. KFC and Hungry Jack's tend to pair up because one's a chicken, one's a beef-style you know, thing. There's new entrants coming in, like there's there's a lot more Taco Bells and a lot more Guzman Gomez is popping up. So like, you know, it's not only suited for that one property, but if you really want to be critical on that asset class, it still has a higher releasing risk than, say, an industrial warehouse would because 
you know, you're not it's dealing single with the same use, really, of isn't it? Like you've got to put another fast food joint in there, and and you only drive around town, and you can still look at a building and go, oh, I bet you one once upon a time that was a pizza hut. Remember yeah. those? Like they're so unique in their in their structure. So so can you give me any insights on on the KFC that you bought? So you bought a KFC in a not the business, but the property, so the buildings and the car parks and all the sort of crap around it. Regional, regional, rural sort of location. Uh, which state? Brisbane, Brisbane. I, I uh, yeah, Brisbane. It's um, that's sort of thirty minutes out for thirty-five minutes out from the CBD, and um, yeah, there's a little bit of land to develop on it. So it's all kind of um, it's just a long-term play. The yield was five point nine percent, which is pretty good. Like I, I put it under contract back in in April. You know, I, I remember this is, it was literally under contract for six months because there was some, uh, some uh, DA conditions I had to meet just before I would, so I put a put call option on the, on the sale just to secure it while they sorted their stuff out on the ground. And then, and then it, it was all sorted. So it was a long time under contract. Mm. The market moved a bit in that time. So KFCs are, are transacting at a, probably an average of 3.5 to 4% across the country. So yeah, there's there's a bit of upside in it if there's a reval, but but yeah, look that that's just a safe bet. And to my clients, five point nine percent is very low. Like we we don't go under six percent often. So we like the main message is like you don't yeah. There's got to be a minimum yield people accept because you've got to factor in increased rates and whatnot. But remember, rates are gonna as they grow. There's also inflation, which is gonna push your rents up and stuff like that. So your rents will grow over time, and and that's you know how you should look at it, but um, but yeah, look, most of my clients are hitting min, you know six six point five net yields, and probably the cheaper price points were sort of just under six percent for a capital city, so they're good numbers considering most people are getting bank loans at a sub three percent interest mm-hmm. rate still. So there's good margin in the debt. So this where you've bought it's got a KFC and a Hungry Jacks on at the moment. Yep. Yeah, and and built by. Was it built by the previous owner or did someone? Okay, yeah, so, so people that developed it. So who yeah. goes about developing these things specifically? Do they do they sort of go to a KFC um, and we'll say, hey, we've got this site, we've done all the assessments, you should put a chicken shop on it. Yeah. Uh, we'll, we'll build it all per your specs and and then they hold on to it or they, they flog it. Exactly. So you want terms agreed by a prospective tenant. So let's say... I don't know, any one of the brands say, look, we like your site. We're going to offer you a 10-year lease, 3% increases, two five-year options. The rent might be 200 grand per annum. You pay the outgoings and you work out your net yield. And then the build cost might be 1 to 1.5 mil for something like that, depending on the area. So that stacks up because you're probably going to get a 10 to 15% return on the development from a cash flow sense. But it's purpose-built. It's done to their specs. You're just funding the project. And I'm sure there's different arrangements. Sometimes the companies themselves build it and then sell back or, you know, or you're the developer and you're, you're doing it for them. So I guess it's different for different companies. But, um, yeah, you wouldn't want to just go build it and then hope a tenant comes. You'd want to, you know, head yeah, the agreement side right. prior. And, and, you, and you can put other another building on this block, can you? Is that probably where the upside is for you? You can yeah. Get, yeah. get something else in there. probably something healthy like a subway. Not not saying that KFC isn't healthy. I don't, don't mind it. Currently yeah, they, they like grouping yeah. food joints because, like, the more you create that kind of food center, the they all feed off each other. It just creates more foot traffic or drive through traffic in general. So, um, yeah, there, there's sometimes clauses in leases that prevent certain competition. So you've got to know the fine print of each lease because you don't 
you don't want their businesses to directly compete against each other to the point where one suffers. Like sometimes you know, they want to facilitate each other. And this is the same thing with a shopping center. You don't want to put four hairdressers all in, you know, next to each other. You've got to mix it up because if you screw up the tenancy mix, the whole center will suffer. Yeah. So it's a very similar guess, uh, thought pattern. Okay, are you happy to share how much you paid for the, uh, for the KFC, mate? Uh, 9.8 mil for that Okay. One. All right, it's a decent purchase. Yeah. Yeah. Did, did you go and taste the chicken and do you have a burger at the Hungry Jacks while you went up there to do I, your due diligence? I did. I, uh, I literally, this is this is how silly I was. I, and I love fast food and I don't eat much of it, but that day I had KFC and Hungry Jacks because I just Man. wanted to sit in both of the shops. And <laughs> it was, yeah, it was good. Just, it was just like any other shop. I really got nothing out of it. I tried to talk to the, the guy and, uh, and look, I, Interestingly, he did say, yeah, look, we're getting busier and busier. And then, you know, so I got really good news stories just from this manager of the KFC, but then the Hungry Jacks, like they wouldn't say anything. So it was sort of. I had no idea that you were the guy looking to buy the joint. Nah. No, and you don't want to disclose that either. Um, but the, the real due diligence, and this is what we do for our clients, is like we try call up the head offices of these companies. They're all owned by certain individuals and like you know if if i want to find the i guess success without knowing the exact numbers and sometimes you can get them of a hungry jacks in any area we, we know how to, who to talk to and mm. there was one i was looking at in new south wales and i won't name the town just out of respect but uh it was getting bypassed and i literally got told on the phone not to touch that investment um because it was it was a time bomb and i really yeah. wanted to buy that, you know, for a client or even myself, it was literally a, you know, New South Wales six percent type arrangement. Like it was, it was a great deal, but it was getting bypassed. So, yeah, that would have been a scary proposition because what would happen to that investment after? We don't yeah. know. Yeah, and you only look at um, uh, you talk about intergenerational assets. Uh, fast food businesses are great land bankers as well. I only think about the where I grew up, out Blacktown, and um, in New South Wales, out western suburbs, and uh, there was a Macca's on on the corner of Main Street and Sunny Holt Rose, probably from the early '80s, like one of the the original Macca's. Uh, and then, sort of, come early two thousands, a huge sort of five six story apartment block uh, is put up on it. Someone's done very well there. They've they've bought the the land cheap, chuck a Macca's on it, sat on the land, made some bucks out of the. The burger, and I think it was probably a company-owned one rather than a franchise one. Uh, they've done very, very well, and that's the play that continues. You know, a lot of people say oh, McDonald's is a burger business. They go, no, it's actually a property company. Uh, they just hold on to assets uh, and put burger joints on them, but um, outside of the scope of this particular chat. But that's interesting sort of case study there of the KFC joint you bought uh, in Brisbane. We've got another break, Scott, when we come back. Um, a couple more questions I want to run past you back in a moment. It's time to get help. Interest rates are increasing. Inflation has hit an extraordinary 5.1% and the chance to secure a golden egg property is getting narrower by the day. Dragon from Buyers Agency Australia has been presenting the facts and helping property investors make smarter, well-informed, educated decisions in property for years. So what are you waiting for? Get in touch with Dragon today at www.buyersagencyaustralia.com.au. Invest with integrity. Welcome back, everyone. Uh, Phil Tarrant, host of the Smart Property Investor Show. Now, Scott, a question here. At what stage should you use a broker when investing in commercial property? 
Oh, mortgage broker, day one. I think uh, a specialist mortgage broker, if they're not doing a commercial loan every day of the week, they're probably not the guy for you. It is it's a very specialized uh, industry because they've got different avenues through the banks and a good broker, because obviously we, we work with countless numbers of brokers because uh, clients have their own ones. And the first giveaway is the time needed for approval. If your mortgage broker says, oh, I need minimum 42 days for finance and all that kind of stuff for a lease stock loan, you know they're, they're probably learning on the job somewhat or they're only dealing with one bank that said that's the timeline. Like to give you an idea, we always put off a subject to 28 days finance and we don't need extensions. I'd probably 20% of the time we ask for extensions on that. So 80% of people are getting loans done within 28 days of a contract. Fine. Um, and it's because we work with good brokers and They'll tell you the banks to go through. There's different lease stock arrangements. There's different interest rates out there. A good broker will even negotiate a higher leverage for you. So the bank might say minimum 60% on this shopping center because it's regional. Good broker can turn that to 65 straight up, maybe even 70 if um, depending on uh, who they know and the debt level and the, the overall deal strength as well. So uh, yeah, definitely, definitely consider the mortgage brokers and have a specialist in that field. And don't feel guilty leaving a current broker because you don't have to leave or take all the resi loans off them. You keep keep them with them, but maybe uh, yeah, just look after uh, yourself on the the commercial side. Yeah, fair enough. Um, another question here. So we work. So shared office spaces. Would you be investing in that sort of stuff? Look, no, just because. It is, it, it's a high value type purchase. And look, I like owning, or put it this way, it, it's very hard for me, even when there's a good tenant, uh, to get a client to commit to a plus $3 million purchase if it's not freehold. So sub $3 million free, uh, strata complexes, all that is perfectly fine because you're going to be in a blue chip area. But um, the WeWorks of the world are you know, generally a pretty high value type purchase and you're owning a floor of a building and... Uh, I don't know if you're spending that type of money. It's it's a little bit hard to kind of get your head around um, just to offer floor space, but it doesn't mean it's a bad bet. It's just probably something that's a little bit outside my uh, normal scope. And um, I think there's just, yeah, there's there's more interesting options out there for that type of money. Um, yeah, and I think that they're sort of quite pressured. They'll tell you otherwise. But we saw, I think it was early last year, at the start of sort of the COVID pandemic, one of the big shared workplaces just went to the wall, right? And I think now the idea of like, oh, we can't afford our own office, so therefore we'll use shared workspace. I think shared workspaces now is sitting in front of your computer at home somewhere on the beach. Uh, so whether or not the the appetite for those type of assets and people wanting to actually work within them uh, moving forward, jury's out on it, and uh, maybe we can pick that up uh, at some point in time. Uh, last question, uh, Scott, office spaces as an investment in Australian capital cities Yes or no right now? Look, question mark. I think we quoted on the Inside Commercial podcast that uh, Bernard Salt, who is very he's very vocal about these types of things, and he's saying uh, pre-COVID, this is over a 20-year average period, there was a 5% flexible work arrangement with staff, and now he, he's predicting it's going to be 10 to 15 moving forward. So that's triple like it's still a low percentage, but still triple the amount of people with flexible work arrangements. So how is that going to affect the leasing market? It will depend on probably the main thing is immigration level. So mm. 
what the, the unique thing about Australia is we can change our entire economy by just letting more people in, and that means butts on seats in offices or more drivers or you know that's the thing that that will potentially change everything. So all these little um, stats out there and people's feelings of office and all that, it, it will be totally overridden by what happens with immigration because they generally will pile into Sydney, Melbourne, Brisbane, and then uh, Perth and, and Adelaide as, as probably secondary places. So I think there's short-term leasing risk, but the square metre rates for sales are still hitting record levels off the back of low interest rates. So there's no real opportunity to buy well. But it is, you know, historically been viewed as a premium product. So that, you know, it's not like it's a dud product either. It's just, um, again, I think there's there's potentially other opportunities out there. Good, mate. Well, cover a lot of ground there. I'm feeling hungry actually at the moment uh, after chatting about uh, KFC, which I, I reckon I only have KFC once a year, and it's normally when I'm rolling with a hangover of like epic proportions. You have got to get a bit of the uh, the KFC into you. So. Uh, Let's hope that's some far away for me, but that's uh, no, good, Scott. Thanks, uh, thanks for sharing those insights. Uh, it's good to get you on the Smart Property Investment Show. Bit of a different way of doing it than our podcast inside Commercial Property, which you can listen to on the Property Investment Podcast Network, which you probably listen to right now. Go and check it out, or you can listen directly to search for Inside Commercial Property. Scott, thanks for your time today, mate. Thank you, mate. Always good to speak with you. Nice one, Scott O'Neill, Rethink Investing. Go and check those guys out if you're. Needing some help finding, buying commercial property, uh, you can probably contact them through the website. It's probably the easiest way. Uh, remember, smartpropertyinvestment.com.au, uh, social media, Smart Property HQ. Remember, just keep an eye out. There's some cool stuff in the background bubbling away uh, that I'm pretty excited about. I just need to tick off a few things before I unveil it to you all. See you again next time. Until then, bye-bye. The information featured in this podcast is general in nature and does not take into consideration your financial situation or individual needs and should not be relied upon. Before making any investment, insurance, tax, property, or financial planning decision, you should consult a licensed professional who can advise whether your decision is appropriate for you. Guests appearing on this podcast may have a commercial relationship with the companies mentioned. It's safe to say the property market has been red hot over the last few years, with some of the markets we've selected in 2021 rising over 40% in a 12-month period. It's very likely that if you're a property owner, your property has gone up 20% minimum in value in the past 12 months, and you have most likely accrued sizable equity that can be recycled and extracted to build your investment portfolio. With interest rates increasing, you might be wondering where to invest to maximise capital growth and cash flow in 2022 and beyond. Well, to save you time, energy and guesswork, award-winning author and regular guest on the Smart Property Investment podcast, Paul Glossop and his team at Pure Property Investment have outlined the top 30 affordable suburbs poised for strong capital growth over the next few years with sound cash flow. Grab your free Top 30 Guide to Property Investment Guide today at purepropertyinvestment.com.